0: super talk mississippi media production
1: moondog makers and bakers catering services taking ordinary to extraordinary personal and home private nights to massive events from wood fired pizzas to full gras. get your three-pack spice blend of moon
2: dust moon crust and moon rocks hashtag what is moondog familiar food done differently howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
4: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. A rainy one out there today, Rhino. I was awaking. It was uh, earlier this morning that rain was coming down a bit hard. I didn't note any thunder or lightning. But the rain was coming down hard. I awakened. But I think it's supposed to be out of here. Clear on up and be pretty nice for the weekend, right? That's what it looks like. what the weatherman says. Well, I'm all over it, if that is the case. Now, this is March 1st, first two months in the books. We had a protracted February by one day because of it being, of course, uh, leap year. Uh, We went through that yesterday. That was kind of a fun discussion where we talked about the Earth's rotation is a quarter of a day more than the 365 we consider a full year, a trip around uh, the old sun there. And as a result, we added day every four years. That came about after uh, the gregorian calendar was established
2: well technically the leap year and leap day started way back in the bc with julius caesar but it wasn't every 4 years then right well it was but they had too many of them they oh, they okay. didn't have the rule in there where every 100 years you take one off and every 1000 years you keep it in okay because that makes it it makes the math work even better okay. the gregorian calendar perfected it
4: okay all right Thanks for that clarification. That would be Pope uh, Gregory, right? Wasn't that right? Yeah, Gregory Thirteenth. Thirteen. We established that yesterday. That is correct. So it, as it turns out, however, and one of the things we learned about yesterday with respect to uh, Leap Year, I didn't know about, I have to admit, is this tradition that allows women, right, to propose and the recipient of the proposal is supposed to accept. Is that correct? That's That's correct. Well, let let not... (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Let not anything that has to do with gender and sex go to waste in today's political environment because the people over there at NPR, you know who that is, don't they? <laughs> they? said this is a tradition that actually ridicules women with false empowerment. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, I can't help with the insanity of this crap they dream up. I just have to laugh at it, false empowerment, <laughs> and because they're so serious about something that's not serious. <laughs> Oh, my gosh.
2: Because they're deeply unserious people.
4: <laughs> oh, just look man. at how they
2: dress and how they act in public.
4: <laughs> oh, gosh. The, this is a tradition, of course. And the folks over <laughs> NPR say <laughs> this is a gender-bending element. <laughs> oh, where do they come up with it? I just don't get it. Why are they so obsessed with this crap?
2: Because it's all they have to hang their hat on. By the way... They, the, they've wasted the entirety of their youth filling their minds with nonsense and <laughs> BS to the point where they never developed an actual personality.
4: Speak, speaking of BS, you'll love this. The, the NPR associate editor <laughs> who wrote this piece, <laughs> um, Rachel uh, Treesman. Just, just in case you're interested, you'll you'll want to know that she goes by she her pronoun, <laughs> uh, because you may have been flummoxed over her gender, right? You needed to know that. <laughs> well, she sought some valuable input on this matter from one Catherine Parkin, a professor of. I hope I could get through this without laughing. American social history at Monmouth University. What is American social history? Why are we teaching that? Why are people paying good money for that? What is that?
2: Is that like a
4: college-level social studies class? I don't know. I didn't study stuff like that when I was in college.
2: No, it wouldn't be social studies, because then they'd have to learn songs like This Land is My Land, This Land is Your Land. That's true. They probably wouldn't like that very much.
4: So, uh, Professor Parkin there says the real origin of this tradition is that people have historically liked to challenge gender and gender roles. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
2: So... It's actually more likely the, the Celts were just a cooky bunch of people. I
4: think that was it. Cuz it's a Celtic tradition. And in the case of marriage to have a reversal of that power, I think is really unusual she added. And and it ties perfectly with this unusual date. Where did it come from and where did it go? And so I think it really plays well into people's imagination and playfulness. I'm sure I'm glad the professors all over that forest there right up <laughs> Oh, my God. I get God. a feeling
2: the professor never studied a whole lot of actual history. It sure seems. Because she's complaining about and gnashing her teeth over a tradition that came from the Celts on the British Isles. Oh, by the way, the same British Isles that had Queen Boudica <laughs> fighting the Roman Empire. They've had strong female leaders for
4: eons. Well, That's so true. <laughs>
2: What the heck are they talking about?
4: There's another category of people who happen to be aggrieved about February and its vacillating length, right? Three years, 28 days, and then every fourth, 29. Well, not too far north of us, my alma mater. The University of Mississippi comes an article from a senior journalism major from where we are right now, Jackson, Mississippi, that is aggrieved because Black History Month happens to occur in the shortest month of the year. Now, is that a problem, by the way? Just Just curious. Is, is there some problem we need to be aware of? And and this young journalism major goes through the history of the origins of Black History Month. It, it, it says in the article, second to the last paragraph, is Black History Month celebrated in February, the shortest month of the year, due to racism? Do we kind of inject racism into everything? It's either racism or gender. Like I've said, you got
2: to when you don't have the brains to actually form an actual argument or use logic. When you just react,
4: it is the Democrat religion, racism, gender, climate change. They literally genuflect at an altar that includes uh, those three idols, climate change, gender, and race. It's tearing this country apart. I, I just would have never thought in a million years, honestly, thinking about Black History Month, being in February, that because that's the shortest month of the year, that could be attributed to racism. Like like somebody slighted all the black people in this country by giving them the shortest month to celebrate Black History Month.
2: Seems like another person that didn't do a whole lot of reading in history. Was it Carter G. Woodson was the scholar that the NAACP holds up as the founding father of Black History Month? Born to former slaves, raised illiterate, but became a scholar and fought for February to be Black History Month? <sighs>
4: Okay, so, uh, exactly. Um, what's the point here? Yeah, Carter G. Woodson and the Association for the Study of Negro Life in History, 1926. Do you think that that person, I mean, so is the person in this other group responsible for promoting and establishing Black History Month. Were they being racist in naming February? Where did people come up with that? What's well, the problem
2: when you throw racism at everything? And that's it the, doesn't apply to hardly anything.
4: And that's the point here. Michael Taylor, Roxanne, uh, Roxanne, pardon me, case. With M of W C E E talking about workers comp coming on at ten thirty five today. Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News later on. Stay with us. We're coming right back
3: from the Seabrook Paint. Check it out. Let's
0: do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it on Super Talk Mississippi.
4: I just want to clarify, too, no disrespect whatsoever for this young person, this student who wrote this article. And by the way, not the only person, Rhino, not the only piece I've seen. I meant a little bit of
2: disrespect when I said they didn't study this.
4: Okay. Not the, not the only person that I've seen or only piece I've seen that's pointing this out. I think it's nonsense. I mean, we have a month, like, okay, it's the shortest month by a couple of days, but isn't that enough time? Every year. How long has this been going on? What we say, nineteen twenty-six, or at least it was conceived of um, in nineteen twenty-six. It's been going on far, as long as I can remember. Nineteen um, seventy, is that it? First Black yeah. History Month was February nineteen seventy. Okay, I was going to say I remember it I think when it I was, was in,
2: actually even later than seventy. I think it was seventy-six was the first official.
4: That's right, 76. Because was Gerald Ford, the bicentennial? Gerald Ford, that's right. Um, bicentennial, correct. Um, well, I remember in college, I, pardon me, high school, uh, um, everybody going into the gym for an assembly during the month. Absolutely remember that. But yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay, no big deal. But to try to find some sort of racial undertone because of the length of the month, that's when you start saying, okay, well, I don't even like the whole deal. I mean, that's the problem is you're trying to build unity, gain acceptance, recognition. Okay, but when you start pointing out silly things like, oh, the month's shorter, we're getting slighted, that's because of racism, that's just insanity. It's just like you're looking for everything that aggrieves you, or you make up things. Honestly, you make up grievances. Well, I-
2: there's a fairly lucrative, lucrative college cottage industry that relies on continuing to stoke the flames of racism. The grievance industry, is exactly.
4: What I, call it. I totally
2: agree. And how do you get your foot in the door in the grievance industry? You write grievance articles in your college newspaper.
4: Well, I, and I, I hope this young person who's studying journalism, I, I want to see them thrive and become a successful working adult journalist, if that's the career they so choose. But, wow, I sure would like to see us start focusing more on real journalism as opposed to activism. And this is an opinion piece. I get that. And, and, and it's, it's styled as such. It's ca- characterized as such. But man, we gotta somehow start to to shift the focus away from everything you don't like being attributed to racism or sexism or what all the other isms and climate change. Oh my gosh. Now by the way, illegal immigrants you're seeing that they're now being referred to as Newcomers. That's what the Biden administration is calling them. Oh, these are these are newcomers.
2: Well, it's because the last new phrase for it they tried out fell like a lead balloon. Undocumented citizens. That's true. That didn't go over at all. So let's try a new word. Let's see if this one will stick. That's let's what... word smith the heck out of it, because we don't actually care. We're just in it for the power. The Biden administration
4: is a f- of referring to illegal immigrants as newcomers newcomers. Are you kidding me? Now, if they've gone through the legitimate immigration process to become a U.S. citizen, sure, I'll be happy to welcome them as a newcomer American citizen, because they did everything the way they're supposed to. At that point, they're just an American. They're just an American. But I mean, if you want to say the newest Americans or something like that, I guess, but People that are breaking the law, crossing over illegally, many of whom are up to no good in nefarious activity, and and also bringing drugs into our country, killing people, our young people in particular. I just can't see fit to call them newcomers. That sounds too nice. That sounds too welcoming. They're newcomers. Unbelievable. So we had the current so it, president... So it started
2: at illegal aliens. Yeah. Then it became illegal immigrants. Yeah. Then it became undocumented immigrants. Do, do, do we not see a pattern here? Yeah, we do. We're obsessed Where with... Where they're wh- doing everything they can to distance themselves from the fact that these people, the second they step foot on American soil, are breaking the law? Unbelievable. Oh, that's right. The people
4: that are arguing that are the people that don't think crime exists, and that's a lot of it too. So we got this this case, sad case, um, in Georgia, right? And that was quite the ruckus at the. At a, I guess it was a, an announcement or a press conference yesterday by the, the mayor. And the and the mayor was being heckled, being shouted down. Well, he deserved to be. He sure did. He and was it, spouting
2: pure nonsense. It was crap. I he mean, was blaming the fact that an illegal alien bashed in the head of somebody on the campus of Georgia. He was blaming that on Donald Trump saying mean things about him.
4: Absolutely true. How stupid are you, and, Mr. Mayor and of there Athens, were, Georgia? There were people in the audience that were giving him the business. I mean, shouting him down. Should have been, honestly. This is tra- this is not tragic. It was an it was an avoidable travesty, um, and totally a function of Joe Biden's open borders. How could you say it's anything else but that? In the state of Georgia, there a, a young college student, full of hope and promise, and and by all accounts, just a genuinely good, friendly person, well-liked, and life has been snuffed out by an illegal thug. we got enough problems with those who commit crime that are bona fide citizens in our country, much less people that we just allow to enter the country because we don't have any interest in stemming the flow at the border. Oh, look, new voters. I get to stay in power. Unbelievable. And that's one of the main
2: problems of critical theory and DEI and all this other liberal nonsense is because the vast majority of illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, people coming to this country illegally, even if they're claiming to seek asylum, they're not doing it at a port of call, so it's not legal. Yeah. But these people have a certain melanin content in their skin which makes them the oppressed and you the oppressor so you can't point out hard truths like the fact that they're not all seeking asylum they're not all women and children they're not all good people but because in the realm of critical theory they're the oppressed and you're the
4: oppressor you can't even point out the truth Athens mayor Kelly Gritz was of course conducting this press conference and making statements and I gotta tell you, I'm proud of those who attended and shouted this fool down. I really am. Uh, holding lots of signs, blood on your hands. I mean, this sort of stuff. That if you're an elected official, I would think you'd have enough self-respect. You wouldn't want to see that sort of stuff. Did he not just seem unfazed to you? Seemed unfazed. Lake and Riley, whose life was was taken by an illegal thug that illegally entered the country. So there were a number of protesters that showed up and interrupted. This is, by the way, the mayor of Athens, Georgia, the home of the University of Georgia. Folks had signs that read, blood on your hands, make Athens safe again. Several of the folks, by the way, you probably heard that, Rhino, were calling for the mayor to resign. You should resign now. I agree. Man, just seem unfazed. I thought the left was so compassionate, empathetic. I thought, isn't that what we were told? Going to unite
2: us and all that sort of garbage. Until their brain short circuits from the fact that they have to hold two incompatible truths at the same time in their heads. And this, this alien is a victim because of their circumstance while also maintaining that the actual victim, the girl who got her head bashed in, well, they can't both be victims, but in the minds of people like the mayor of Athens, they are.
4: It's Gertz. My apologies for mispronouncing the mayor's name. Kelly Gertz, G-I-R-T-Z, says, We're deeply sorry for this tragedy. Responsibility for this crime rests solely upon the perpetrator. And who let the dang perpetrator in? Do they not see the cause and effect, the connection here? They don't want no, to, do they? they don't want to. Well, no wonder this is the number one issue. And, of course, we had the former president, Donald Trump, went to the border yesterday. We had the current president. But I believe the current president went to Brownsville. Won't go to San Diego or Arizona where the problem is the worst. Stays away from that.
2: No, he had a carefully curated photo shoot with the big Border Patrol boat that, Immediately after he left, it left. Sure, and
4: there to do its job. And blame Donald Trump and Republicans essentially, but mainly Donald Trump for advising Republicans, encouraging Republicans to oppose this border bill that doesn't shut the border down, and solve the problem. We are stepping aside for a break in the Element Wealth studio. Michael Trailer and Roxanne Case are up next in the Element Wealth studio. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're live in the Element Well studio. We welcome now Michael Trailer, president of the Mississippi Workers' Compensation Education Association, and also Roxanne Case, the vice president of the MWCEA. All right, Michael, tell us uh, exactly what you guys do. Well,
5: first of all, thank you for having us on the show. We appreciate the time. Uh, we are actually a nonprofit organization that's made up of Uh, various members of the workers' compensation community in Mississippi that uh, focuses on trying to educate the community about the type of benefits that are available, the type of medical treatment, and other factors that we look at in the workers' comp community. So it's a nonprofit. It's made up of people from the entire industry, including attorneys uh, on both sides, uh, workers' comp adjusters. We have nurse case managers who are also in the community. Um, employers Uh, we have medical professionals who are also a part of that and so um, it's it's a very uh, uh, mixed group of people that all come together and somehow it works Uh, but our main focus is to try to um, educate people and that's primarily why we're here today to talk about our upcoming conference
4: in april uh, where we are doing that Okay, so uh, when you talk about the community, I think it's the words you use. Are we we talking about those who are enrolled in and receiving workers' compensation benefits? Well, so
5: that's probably uh that's one aspect. That would be the claimants that get injured, but mostly what we're trying to do is uh it, for example, uh work comp claims adjusters. So a lot of the adjusters who are handling claims on behalf of the insurance companies and their insureds um Maybe they handle multiple states, and so, or maybe they're new just to the work comp community, period. Mm-hmm. And so, what we try to do is we put out information for them to say, okay, this is available to you that tells you about Mississippi's workers' compensation benefits, and this is how our law applies these set of facts. And so, um, same situation also for um, medical professionals as well. Um, the workers comp law in Mississippi has what's called a medical fee schedule and it's pretty complex and a lot of times for medical providers and their billing agencies maybe they don't know exactly how that works when you look at compared to just general health insurance like Blue Cross Blue Shield or United Healthcare and so we try to educate them as well about okay here's how our law pays for this procedure or maybe here's this type of, uh, of treatment that is not available under workers comp so Those are primarily the the people that we're educating, maybe not so much the injured workers. Hopefully, someone along the way, whether it's myself, an attorney for the injured workers, or even the adjusters who are dealing directly with the injured workers, are walking them through the
4: various aspects of our law. Okay, gotcha. Roxanne, how are you funded?
6: We are self-funded. And basically, we put on this conference in April. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be April 10th through the 12th. And so the funds that we receive from putting on that conference, we use to educate, hold other um, Zoom conferences during COVID or um, conferences, conferences throughout the state. But that's our primary means of money basically. Mm-hmm. And as Michael was telling you, it's a conference that is put on through this board, the MWCEA board, but also the board works hand-in-hand with the Mississippi Workers Compensation Commission, which is where workers' compensation claims are brought. So we work with the commissioners and the judges to put on this conference. So when the conference takes place, the adjusters, the medical providers that come, the uh, vocational rehab consultants or nurse case managers, they have access to meet with, talk to the commissioners, talk to the judges, talk to a lot of the doctors that actually see the claimants. Um, so it's a very um, tight-knit community, but it gives everybody an opportunity to learn how these claims work, how they can work together to basically bring these claimants to a point where they can get back to work, get back into um, earning wages, getting better, but also how it can help the employers handle the claims and do better in putting them back to work. Um, so it's a it's a good process and it's a good means for the community to get together. Um, we've been doing this for I can't even say how many years now, um, but it's a it's a um, like I said, tight-knit group that has figured out that this is the best way to educate everybody and try to do the be- right thing for the employer, but also for the injured worker.
4: Okay, so uh, do employers attend the conference as well?
6: Yes.
5: They do. And, and actually, this year, uh, we have uh, tried as best we can to include a few educational sessions that um, target a few specific areas of em- employment. So, uh, we have one session this year that's focused on state employee workers' compensation claims, which sometimes can be a little bit different than just your general claim. Okay. Uh, we also have uh, one that's focused on the role of the safety manager in workers' compensation claims. So, a lot of employers do have somebody that's in charge of, of maintaining safety. Uh, or even hr maybe it falls under that so there are a couple sessions this year that are specifically targeted for uh employers and we we hope that uh, more and more are going to be able to come
6: there's also a session that's focused primarily on trucking so Hmm. that's going to be a special session in and of itself for truck trucking companies and their safety managers
4: so are you also trying to um or, or does some of the content include education to the employers on how to just uh, create, I guess, safer workspaces that that avoid these situations where someone is injured on the job and, and then has to seek workers' compensation?
6: Correct. We want them to have safe workplace environments, but we also want them to know... I mean, obviously injuries are going to happen, um, but we want them to know how to handle the injury and how to handle trying to get that employee back to work. Studies show... The sooner you can get them back into the workplace, the sooner they will work through their recovery. So that's what we're wanting them to see, what they can do to be the best employer to handle these workers' compensation claims. Because they are going to happen, but we want them to have a safe work environment, but also know what their duty and responsibility is to the injured employee.
4: So uh, back when I was in business, as I recall, there uh, there's something called like the experience factor, or something like that, that determines what uh, the because co- essentially it's insurance uh, is what you're what you're buying as an employer. That's like right. You're contributing to the worker's compensation uh, portion of an employee's payroll. Essentially, it's, it's that factor is applied to it. I don't remember all the – there's thresholds once you hit a certain number at a certain point in time, like 7000 bucks a year or something like that, um, and, and then you, you're no longer paying those premiums. It maxes out in a year. I don't remember, know what the threshold is now. But that experience factor, as I recall – based on your experience i mean how many claims you have had sort of like any sort of commercial insurance or any other kind of insurance is typically driven by the experience of the um the carrier the insurer as far as what their costs have been to in- insure you and they may boost that based on claim file and experience that's the way workers comp works as far as i can uh, recall is that still the case
5: yeah, I think so in large part. Okay. You know, I, before I got into the legal field, I was actually a claims adjuster myself. Okay. And so worked for an insurance company and, and definitely heard Experience Mod okay. very frequently. There you go. So, yeah, yeah you're right on point on that. Uh, and that's also one of the things, you know, as Roxanne was just talking about, I think some of the things that can help with that Experience Mod is are you – is the employer um, taking good safety precautions in the workplace? Once they sure. have an injured worker, are they – Participating in the process and trying to help facilitate that back to recovery. So, uh, all those things can help. Okay. Even if you have the claim, yeah. to hopefully lessen, right? you know, your experience on it.
4: Well, I mean, no different than, than life insurance is going to also often be based on the health of the insured and the age of the insured. Same deal. So, That's all right. of those are, are actuarial factors, if you will, much like the experience and the the uh, the safety of a workplace would figure into the premiums that an employer would pay for workers' compensation. It's just, it's just a risk assessment, essentially. Correct um, is what it is. So, is your goal to try? I mean, I know you got multiple goals because you got when you talk about the community, it's it's uh, it's extensive and it's diverse. It includes not only those who are who were claiming workers' compensation, but those who are who are providing various services to those claimants, like. Um, physicians and providers, medical, health care providers is one, and I know therapists and a lot of others is involved as well, uh, lawyers. Um, and then you got the employer side that's essentially paying the, the premiums uh, for all this. But is one of your goals just to try to make people aware that, that what's available to them overall from a workers' comp perspective, both the employer's responsibility and the, the injured employee?
6: By all means.
5: Yes, it, it is. And we'll have many vendors that are there as well that are um, putting their product out to employers, insurance companies, f- medical providers that are showing them that these things are available. Um, and so the, the conference itself, it's in April. It's April 10th okay. through the 12th of this year. It's at the Beau Revage on the coast. Uh, you can go online if you're interested in signing up or getting any information about us at mwcea.org. Sounds good. And uh and we're looking forward to it. It's a great time every year.
4: Michael, Roxanne, appreciate you guys coming in and talking about the Mississippi Workers Compensation Education Association. Thanks. Thank yes, you sir, for having thanks. us. Coming right back folks. Stay with us. Patriotism is alive at
0: Covering the Stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi.
4: Welcome back, everyone. It's middays We're in the Element Well Studio today. We appreciate you tuning in and joining us. We are uh, we had a little technical difficulty yesterday, Rhino, uh, for a while during the show with uh, WFMN. In, in right?
2: Yeah, the transmitter for Central Mississippi in the Jackson Metro area went down yesterday morning early, and. Uh The engineers were quick on it with replacement parts to get it fixed up and back on the air. I want to say it was back on the air at low power right around lunchtime yesterday and then back up at full power last night around 7 or 8 o'clock. So everything's back up and running at full power.
4: So we had uh, an interview with Representative Missy McGee at 11.20 yesterday. That was a three-segment discussion, and I'm told that that is going to air... Uh, again, a replay of it at 1 o'clock, 1.05 on Monday after the Super Talk Outdoors show. You know, our show middays is two hours on Mondays, the third hour, the noon hour on Mondays, Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors. And then after that at 1 o'clock, typically that's the Gallo Rewind during that hour those three segments, our interview with Representative Missy McGee yesterday will replay, just letting folks know, especially for those in the central Mississippi area that perhaps were unable to listen over the air. Of course, the good news is we got the Supertalk app, which is awesome. It's outstanding. It is a really a good interface on that app. I think it's well done. And then, of course, Supertalk.fm, the full-size website. There are links there where you can tune into the program, either audio or you can stream it on a video as well. And, of course, we're on C Spire TV. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with former Chicago radio DJ Kevin Matthews. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish Remember, there's catfish. Then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish in homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant, and go to SuperiorCatfish.com for more info. The Sports Talk guys there at M. Trade Park a two-day kicking off the spring seasons of baseball, fast pitch, and soccer. Nearly a hundred and fifty teams. We'll be in Oxford this weekend for U-Triple-S-A Baseball. For the full schedule of tournaments this spring, visit mtradepark.com. Don't miss the boys on Sports Talk, live from M-Trade Park in Oxford today. If you're going to play, play M-Trade. We're in the Element well Studio 601-957-6006. That's who you called. That's Element Wealth to let them help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The NASDAQ, presently up $113, having a pretty decent day. The Dow, also trading in the green. But something I'm watching there, Rhino, is that the price of oil has eclipsed the $80 barrel mark today. So it's been trending upward for some time, the last couple of months, just kind of back and forth in that seventy to seventy-five dollar a barrel range, it is now at eighty bucks. I don't know about you, I've noticed an uptick in the price per gallon at the pump. How about you? See, in last, oh yeah, yeah. Last couple of weeks. So, in the meantime, Joe Biden totally clueless, running around talking about the Green New Deal. Essentially, I mean, he just doesn't have a clue. It's sad. Um we got some, maybe some sound here from uh, Karina Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. Check your uh, – I think I sent it to you on your Twitter there. And this is uh, – if we can get it going there – what she had to say about the situation at the border. She was over there on – was it MSNBC or CNN, I think, right? CNN. Being interviewed. And uh, she, of course, all over this issue <laughs> – all over it from the perspective of, uh, wait, not our fault. It's those Republicans and Donald Trump. They are the reason the border is wide open. Again, I mean, this is a horrific, horrific loss for any family, and obviously, any if whoever is found guilty, uh, we need to make sure that uh, make sure that that happens, and obviously, uh, we don't want to uh, we don't want to see uh, anything happen like that again. But here's the thing: we have
6: done the work uh, to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. The Republicans have gotten in the way. They have gotten in the way, and that's what we continue
4: to see over and over and over again. And so, look, this is a serious. This is a serious battle. They've gotten in the way, Rhino. The Republicans are in the way. <laughs> Folks, you got to see Rhino. He don't even know what to say, he's shaking his head in disgust because he's tired of hearing this lady. Go before the American people. I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but he's tired of seeing this lady go before the American people and just lie. Can you put it any other way? I don't think so. We're coming right back after Fox News, Super Talk News. Stay with us. I feel good.
3: Get ready, get ready to go
4: beyond the headlines
0: and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state.
4: Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We're live in the Element Wealth studio on this Friday. In the next segment, it's Caleb Saylor's multimedia journalist, super taught Mississippi news. Caleb will give us a rundown of all the news from across the great state of Mississippi over the past week and also talk about the headlines they're tracking going into next week. At 12.05, it's uh, Richard Mariano's, former assistant director of the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, also a special agent in charge of ATF. He's going to talk about a bill that Representative Lee Yancey has authored, which would establish a vape registry. We'll find out what that's all about for the state of Mississippi, of course. So uh, did I see that there were some... Protests in New York on the wall a street bull there, you know, the bull that's statue, big old statue, I think bronze of a bull, of course, representing the financial markets, as we refer to the market when it is uh, trending upward as a bull market. And when downward, we call that um, a bear market, of course. That means that investors are kind of hibernating, is what that's supposed to <laughs> represent. It. represent Bull is they're running like a bull would, and they're pouring money into those investments to dial up 41 points. But did I see that, Rhino? A bunch of folks protesting uh, the war, of course, and everything, capitalism, you know that. That's to blame for everything. If it's not racism, climate change, <laughs> and gender ideology, Uh, It's got to be – it's actually gender misplacement, right, misidentification. Um, Well, then capitalism, of course, is at the root of all that. Obviously. Yeah. It's been so bad. Unbelievable. We're so dang spoiled, I'm telling you, it's that incumbency, because were those not a bunch of spoiled brats pretty much standing around and top the bull with the Palestinian flags and all that stuff? That's exactly what it was. It reminds me of the Occupy Wall Street, all out there with their $1,000 smartphones (laughs) texting and taking selfies while they're protesting the very system that enabled them to do that. Unbelievable. So you just sent me, this is great. Would you please explain to the folks this little uh, tweet that includes a video which you just sent where folks are a little confused about flags.
2: Well, it's this comedy group. This might might offend some people if I use these words, but it's it's okay. The, The comedy group is called Two Jews Comedy. It's two Jewish guys that are willing to make fun of themselves and everyone else. And they set up at protests with a little shopping cart, a buggy thing, selling flags to the protesters. So they're going around selling israeli flags to the israeli protesters and palestinian flags to the palestinian protesters and one of the funniest lines in the whole thing is they talk about how they ran out of palestinian flags so they just started selling jordanian flags the white people didn't know the difference (laughs) it's
4: just get involved get involved in the cause line up here get your flags Right. Well, any self respecting, foolish protester, they got to have a flag, right? Especially when you consider this particular deal.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, they had a joke in there about how last year business was booming, but now they can't get rid of these and they hold up a Russian <laughs> flag and a Ukrainian flag. Oh, gosh. At the very um, beginning, they're like, we're not here to take sides. We're here to make money.
4: Of course, they're not. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well,. Robert and Brandon says, how sad your life must be if you go around every day looking for something to be offended by. It's absolutely true. It's the grievance industry. Never smile, never happy, perpetually aggrieved, always have to be pointing fingers and complaining, condemning, denouncing. They thrive on it. Really, We missed something. What's that?
2: And we're a little late to it today.
4: Okay. Yeah, that's
2: it. From the 601 on the ceasefire text line. Yep. Happy belated birthday. We had a birthday yesterday on the C Spire text line. Who's that? Two. It's from the 601. They haven't given us their name. Oh, okay. But they chimed in at 10 o'clock this morning and said, my birthday was yesterday.
4: Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Ben from Madison sent a. Uh, A text that includes the link to an article about uh, perhaps increasing the nuclear energy footprint here in the state. We had Senator Joel Carter on the program last week. He chairs the Energy Committee over there in the the, uh, state Senate talking about that. I agree. I mean, Rhino, you you have been a proponent of this, uh, very much so, and have talked about these modular reactors that – we agree we could benefit from what we learned that I didn't know you may have from the senators, how rapid you can uh, spin those things up. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're ready to go, right? You take them off the boat and plug them in. I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but... But it's not by much. It's not by much. Not re- not relative to the, the sort of the Grand Gulf traditional large reactor that we're accustomed to, right?
2: I mean, the... It's not quite available commercially, but the goal for a lot of these manufacturers of nuclear plants and nuclear reactors is to have the small modular reactor available to put on, say, a tractor trailer to drive into somewhere that has been devastated by a natural disaster and literally just park the truck, plug in, and you've got power. Yeah. That's what their that's their next step. That's their next goal in development.
4: Yeah, and that uh, I think that's that's pretty cool, and I and I totally agree. We should be all over that, should we not? We should be embracing this this nonsense of everything is going to convert to some sort of magical electric power that is uh, that is produced all from uh, renewable sources. That ain't happening for a while. We may get there, and I know every energy com- uh, a company in America, utility concern in America, has got various efforts and initiatives underway to uh, to modernize their, their footprint, and that includes uh, diverse power sources. No doubt about that. But to say that we could just unplug from, no pun intended there, from uh, fossil fuels, as a source cuz if i'm not mistaken most of our electrical generation is sourced from natural gas is it not presently natural gas and then and coal to some extent but that's been phased out quite a bit yeah but natural gas But they oppose that. We can't do that. I thought that was supposed to be clean, and we know it's plentiful. we got, like, hundreds of years, do we not, of natural gas. It's just more
2: evidence that they don't really give a rat's rear end about the environment or the climate or the people impacted by it. They want power because it wasn't even a decade ago that these same people were clamoring for natural gas to replace coal because natural gas is green. Yeah. All of a sudden, the same people decide, no, wait, it's not green anymore. Hmm. We need to do this because
4: this will infer more power to us. Unbelievable. Jerry in Waynesboro says $3 gas by end of next week. Oil taking off today. Yeah, that's what we were just saying. I agree, Jerry, that uh, we've got the price of a barrel now eclipsing $80. Some of the pundits, you know, it's it is kind of almost comical is it not though rhino to watch these so-called experts try to predict the price of oil are they ever right Uh, i mean well i guess you could say half of them are right because half of them say it's going this way the other half say it's going in a a different direction we really don't know there's so many factors now there are some who believe that um that the oil companies control the price of oil per barrel remember joe biden imploring the retail sellers of gasoline just go out to the pump and lower the price, (laughs) remember that I mean that's what he understands about, which ain't much.
2: That's how disconnected from reality the bumbling buffoon sitting in the Oval Office
4: is They literally believe, oh yeah, just go take the price down, don't understand the supply chain, the economics and the model itself whatsoever of of fuel and energy uh, that's fossil fuels based. they just don't get it and of course they love to blast the oil companies you made a profit you can't make a profit you gotta just just lower your prices and sell that stuff for uh, no profit that's what they want they would be happy with that Uh, always pointing fingers just like he did yesterday the price of gas is high it's the oil companies it's the retailers it's this it's that You don't like illegals streaming across the border? It's the Republicans and Donald Trump. They're like Teflon. Nothing sticks to them. It's really bad when you got someone to whom nothing sticks, and they also aren't real smart. It's like a double whammy right there.
2: Which just goes to show how dumb the vast majority of mainstream media is as well.
4: Oh, my gosh. It's uh, it's sad, but but it gives us a bunch to talk about, especially with a presidential election. I mean,
2: they're either dumb or malicious. That's really their only two options.
4: <laughs> Caleb Sailors, a multimedia journalist here at Super Talk Mississippi News, is up next. Stay with us. We're live in the Element Wealth Studio. Uh.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
4: I know if you started that at the beginning, that song, The Roundabout by Yes, if you started it at the beginning, I bet it'd still be playing Monday when we start the show. Probably. (laughs) Oh, gosh. When I was a youngster, I loved that song, and I used to uh, go to sleep with it playing on the old record player, (laughs) because you could just put it on, it's the whole side, right? All right, we are back with a Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist to Super Talk Mississippi News. All right, Caleb, it's been a big week down there at the Capitol, and I know you guys are running around like crazy, is <laughs> the news department trying to keep up with all the activities I have been as well. It's uh it started out a little slow, but, of course, we had the two special sessions that uh, sort of put a pause on, on regular activity, the regular session. And I think that was uh, obviously a, um, a good reason to call a special session so that the legislature could focus on getting these packages approved for two giant economic development projects that the governor, rightfully so, touted in his State of the State address earlier. And uh, I, I certainly applaud him for that. He he was integral, I think, in landing those projects. And he's made it very, very clear he will continue to focus on economic development, a top priority. One of the reasons I support the governor. But other than that, we're back to regular legislature now. And they're speeding it up. And they are, man. It's going <laughs> 90 fast. 90 to nothing. Fast I mean, and
1: furious. And... and uh, our news director, J.T. Mitchell, has done a fantastic job kind of taking point on the health care bills that have come out this week. I'm doing my best to keep up with everything else. And we're running like chickens with our heads chopped off right yep. now because, you know, you're right. The economic development projects kind of took up the bulk of the legislature's time early in the session. You know, can't get mad about $12 billion worth of economic development coming to the Magnolia State. But now they're trying to get health care. Initiatives passed. And that's kind of been the focus of this week. And we had three major, um, I'd say, three major bills that passed uh, the House, some Senate, and then some both. And, um, you know, the big push right now is Medicaid expansion. How do we get uh, expanded Medicaid coverage in Mississippi the best way possible? And the House passed a bill, you know, under former leadership of uh, former House Speaker Philip Gunn, Medicaid expansion was a no no. Like, he just was not going to go down that road at all. Well, the new speaker, Jason White, has been more open, and he's been more open to having those conversations, and they passed Medicaid expansion, which has a work requirement attached to it. You have to work 20 hours a week, unless you're a college student, high school student, or have some sort of viable excuse, unless it's not approved by CMS. CMS would have until September 30th to approve this work requirement, and I believe Georgia is the only state in the nation that has a work requirement attached to their Medicaid expansion, but... This expanded coverage of Medicaid would uh, help people up to 138% of the federal poverty level if their income is up to that, and it would probably cover around 200,000 Mississippians if passed. Now, this has to go to the Senate. The Senate has their own Medicaid expansion bill that has to be passed by Tuesday if it wants to continue, and I've heard from the Senate, from that side of the chamber, that they're going to look at their bill first, they're going to try to pass theirs first, and then allow lawmakers on both sides, both chambers, to kind of review both documents, the Houses and Senates, and kind of form the perfect Medicaid expansion solution for Mississippi. Now, when you get to the governor, he's expressed his disdain for Medicaid expansion, calling it Obamacare expansion, saying that the bill that came from the House looked similar to something that will be altered by Chuck Schumer or prominent Democrats in national <laughs> leadership. And so that might be a way, a hurdle they have to overcome is the governor's desk, but we'll see. Yeah. Um the governor
4: has made it clear at this point. I'm I'm not seeing really any deviation from that position.
1: <laughs> no, he's um, solid there.
4: Yeah. Uh the question is what uh whether or not this thing would be veto proof. It is in the House, the bill that passed yes. the House it is, and we, we'll see what happens in the Senate. Of course, I I really – I can't tell. They've been playing it pretty close to well, the the base. house
1: and the House was, um, I guess, diligent, and they put repealers in the yeah. bill, too, that they could kind of opt out of, oh, okay, well, if the federal government's not willing to put up 90 percent of the money, we can opt out of this program and not kind of wipe the slate clean and not have to deal with this down the road if it's going to cost the state, you know, boo of money.
4: Yeah, I mean, and that that's correct. And we had uh, Representative Missy McGee on the program yesterday mm-hmm. discussing that that particular provision that if for some reason the federal government uh, no longer provides the 90 percent federal match, what's called the F-MAP, then uh, essentially the program's terminated is what happens at that point.
1: And Missy McGee, I mean, credit to her, too. She gave a very powerful speech on the floor uh, ahead of the bill being passed. It was passed 96 to 20, again, in a chamber where Medicaid expansion couldn't even be discussed. It was passed overwhelmingly. And partially due to her in you know, explaining, you know, we haven't had any better solutions than this, better proposals than this that would cover Mississippians that are in desperate need of coverage. And these aren't people with the work requirements. They're saying these aren't just people that are sitting around doing nothing. These are people that are working that just need health care. I mean, health care is something that we should all have some sort of access to, if not, you know, full coverage of. I mean, you can't control your health at all times. And so she was very, very passionate in her delivery and, and now – the Senate will consider this bill. They'll consider their own, and we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, it's
4: it's it's interesting. It's this may be as as high profile a measure, honestly, that I can remember. Oh yeah, um, where you where you've got uh, something that historically has not really gotten any traction all of a sudden now it not only gets traction it, it passes on an overwhelming it's full vote speed now. yeah and we got the Senate working on their version and we got uh, the governor who says uh, that uh, I can't support this so it uh, should be should be plenty of uh for us to track and analyze and talk about so what about the prisons in the state of
1: Mississippi Let me get to that real quick. I I want to discuss prior authorization real quick before we get to the prisons. Um, The governor had something to say about that, too. And look, and you see an example where the governor uh, doesn't agree with the legislation that was passed in its entirety. He was kind of hesitant to support. He has concerns about how this prior authorization bill would affect the state plan. He doesn't want state employees to have to pay more for their insurance coverage or insurance prices or prices of pharmaceuticals or services, etc., Well, this bill would speed up the process for insurance to approve or disapprove of services. You know, they kind of have this ambiguous time frame where they're not really obligated to decide at a certain time whether a service or medicine is covered. Now, for non-emergent care, they have seven days to approve or disapprove of service, medicine, et cetera. And then for emergent care, they have 48 hours, the insurance companies do, to determine. And also, if they disapprove, doctors or medical providers can go into an online portal and appeal these decisions, too. And so this is just trying to help people with their coverage and get things speed speeded up or sped up, rather, yep. by insurance companies who are known to kind of take their time. And the Mississippi Insurance Division would have their hand in this, too, kind of overseeing the online portal. And But the governor, he's, he's concerned. He wants the um, legislature. He didn't sign it. He said he'll let it go into effect and let it go into law without his signature if no changes are made. But he's pushing for uh, lawmakers to appropriate funding. To kind of cover any costs that would would go to the state plan, would go to state employees, or to find another mechanism to work around that state plan where it wouldn't impact you know state and, and government employees. And he he cited his reason for that Absolutely. was just, was just to uh, prevent these uh, additional
4: extraneous costs associated with the prior authorization yes. to the state of Mississippi yes. employees who were enrolled in the state's coverage.
1: And then we had another bill that passed, too, that passed the House and Senate. It would expand outpatient care to pregnant women in Mississippi up to 60 days of uh, coverage once they reach out and try to get it. It's for women that are um, at hundred at or below 194% of the federal poverty level. So it would pretty much give them um, expanded ambulatory, outpatient care, and if they meet that federal poverty threshold – And they'll have 60 days. They have to prove that they're pregnant and get a um, approval letter from whether it be a medical provider, medical office, et cetera. And then they can get that care. And it's another step. And, you know, Mississippi has incredibly high uh, infant and maternal mortality rates. We're number one in the nation in infant mortality rates, which is not good. And this is another way to combat, you know, we're in a post-Roe versus Wade Mississippi, post-Roe versus Wade America, and we're trying to find solutions for mothers and children. And, um Senator Nicole Aiken's boy touted this bill, and uh, Missy McGee was the one who actually altered it, and they're pushing this, saying, hey, we got to help mothers in Mississippi. We've yeah. got to help these children in Mississippi, and we've got to find solutions. And if these women go and get care early in their pregnancy, then the risk of them dying or their child dying is minimized. Yeah. We, we can talk.
4: About yeah. It. We'll we'll stick around. We got a break coming right now. We're in the Element Well Studio. We're visiting with Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist to Super Top Mississippi News. Coming right back.
0: Mr. Mr.
1: That's what we need, more money. Hey, it's election season. That's what all the uh, people, incumbents running for re-election are calling for right now. Money, money. Money, money. money.
4: Speaking of which, we'll be going to them polls in a little more than a week to cast our ballot for those candidates next Tuesday. Of course, Super Tuesday. But... All right so uh continue please
1: what you were talking about before we yes. went to break. Yeah. And uh well and real quick one of those candidates Senator Roger Wicker got an endorsement from former president Donald Trump and so you know sure who the, number 45 wants to win his uh, seat his re-election bid. He's endorsing Roger Wicker, telling Mississippians, and he's the man for the job. But Wicker is challenged by State Representative Dan Eubanks and uh, Colonel Gannon Burton on mm-hmm. the Republican side in the primaries. Yeah, so now we can go to the prisons. We've discussed healthcare. We discussed that ad nauseum, I and I know you've talked hmm. about it. Just plenty on your show. It's been the focal point of the session right now. Well, we, uh, three major prisons in Mississippi have been accused of violating the constitutional rights of inmates, subjugating them to inadequate living conditions and allowing gangs that kind of have influence in the facilities. This is Um, Central Mississippi Correctional Facility, which is right here outside of Pearl. I've gone to it several times and thankfully not incarcerated. Uh, South Mississippi Correctional Facility and Wilkinson County Correctional Facility, all under scrutiny from the federal government. They house about 7,200 inmates collectively between the three facilities. And the federal government saying there's no institutional control there, that a severe lack of staffing has kind of allowed you know, contraband to flow freely through these jails, that gangs are kind of intimidating, bullying, and abusing people and that the conditions there are just not livable. And this kind of comes right after uh, we had Senator Juan Barnett is looking to shut down operations at Parchman, and so we're having more problems with our prisons in Mississippi, and last I've seen, uh, MDOT Commissioner Burl Kane has not issued a statement about these uh, this investigation or this report from the federal government. He's not said anything, and this report that, you know, gang activities kind of run rampant in these prisons, that gangs are having an influence in our prisons, in these three specific prisons, kind of contradicts what, uh, Mr. Kane said on The Gallo Show several months back in December. He said that, you know, gang activity was pretty much at an all time low in Mississippi prisons. He said they've worked to reduce it, they'll trade. Criminals, like if a guy is a prominent gang member in Mississippi in a Mississippi prison, he'll send them off to Connecticut and get someone from Connecticut to come in to kind of minimize their influence, and that's what he was saying on the show, but this report from the federal government is pretty much indicating otherwise, and so – They're calling on the Department of Corrections to do something about this, to increase their supervision in the prisons, to make sure that, you know, criminal activity is not running rampant in these facilities. In transitioning there, the city of Lexington and its police department are also facing scrutiny from the federal government of the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division is saying that, you know, the city of Lexington and police department are not constitutionally allowed to lock people up for unpaid fines Hmm. without you, you. You have to first check and see if people are able to afford them or not. And there's other mechanisms you can go about to try to reclaim that payment. But they're accusing the city of just locking people up arbitrarily without first ensuring that they're capable of paying for the fines or not. This follows a November investigation into the city and its police department where uh, there were civil rights complaints that people uh, claiming that others were being unlaw—excuse uh, arrested unlawfully and the Department of Justice is taking a deeper dive but Lexington officials the mayor and police chief have said they're going to cooperate they're going to do everything in their power to you know abide by federal law and <laughs> not subjugate themselves to further scrutiny from federal officials hmm. so that's where we stand there we've got issues in the prison and they're saying that the gangs are you know kind of having uh, exerting power there and then we have city of Lexington facing some civil rights scrutiny And now, um, on a military front, sadly, last week on Friday, we had a helicopter crash. Apache AH AH-64 crashed in Prentice County. And it was confirmed that two of our National Guardsmen, Mississippi Guardsmen, um, Brian Zemeck and Derek Abbott, lost their lives. And it was just a routine training flight. Nothing nothing crazy there. They do these things all the time. And sadly, uh, Mr. Abbott was just about to retire from the force, too, and lost his life, you know, in a training flight, something that's so basic and so simple yet so tragic, and so now the National Guard has ordered for um, an aviation safety stand down. So basically, no, no, no flying, no, uh, none of these flights, none of these training flights right now until they can review their policies and procedures. And there was another incident that had happened about a month before this one in Mississippi, in Arizona, I believe. And they're like, OK, this isn't safe. People are dying. We're losing mm-hmm. our soldiers. We, we can't have this happen. We need to review these procedures. And my, my uh, thoughts and prayers do go out to the family of the two Mississippi men that lost their lives. I mean, the president sent a word down. President Joe Biden you know, offered his condolences to the families. Obviously, Governor Tate Reeves um, issued a statement on Saturday and, and revealed their names and identities of these two men. But it just shows you the risk and sacrifice that, you know, men and women who sign up for service, the kind of sacrifice they they embody, you know, they they know that this job has risk, even even domestically here on a routine training flight. Like every every minute you have is precious and it's a gift, and it just kind of puts things into perspective of what these people really do for our country and how much they do for us. And you know, if you're having these incidents happening here, imagine what the ones overseas that are actually in combat are going through. It, it, it kind of it's a sobering thought yeah a uh, very sad deal, no doubt about it and
4: uh grateful to our state leaders for all stepping up on this as well absolutely being involved and and, and grateful to the president as well so What's going on in the sports world? We got any updates there?
1: Gerard, big update. One thing I told you off the air a couple weeks ago was that Ole Miss was denied, or excuse me, delayed on its Nike shipment coming in. Well, they've got all their baseball jerseys in now. This is the big <laughs> news of the week. Ole Miss has all of its baseball jerseys. I've got that confirmed from a source within the baseball program who actually sent me a picture of the new cream-colored jerseys. And you and I both said we didn't like them at first. I saw a first hand look at it, they look really good. The you Rebels did? take okay. on... The Rebels take on Iowa this weekend. Iowa's ace pitcher throws about 102 miles an hour, but he walks a lot of guys. So Ole Miss has gotten the bats going early. Or, excuse me, down the stretch in the past week, they've they've scored 12 runs in their past four, 12 or more runs in their past four games, and. Really, really getting hot offensively. Pitching is still a work in progress, but Mike Bianco has made a pitching change. You'll see new starters in the weekend rotation. Gunnar Dennis will take the mound today. Mississippi State, they won game one of their series versus Mount St. Mary's, and today's game has been delayed. It'll be moved to tomorrow because the weather in the Golden Triangle is supposed to be pretty rough. So they've got a 1-0 start early on Mount St. Mary's. Mount St. Mary's not a good baseball program. They've only won one game this season and didn't look look very good yesterday. State... Was well, the things got a little iffy in the top of the eighth inning, but State handled their business and took over and took care of the game, and they'll I'd predict them to sweep that one. Southern Miss faces Indiana State this weekend, and Indiana State was a team that was supposed to host a regional last year, but they were denied because they didn't have the facilities and infrastructure to host an NCAA tournament event. But very very good baseball team, got a very good coach, and that that'll be a very fun series at Pete Taylor Park. I expect that one to go down to the wire either way one of the two teams will win two out of three of those you know hitting 102 is pretty
4: hard (laughs) i'm not thinking a lot of people are gonna get around on that
1: unless he unless he can't hit the strike zone if he's if he's hitting 102 in the dirt then oh well but yeah it's hard it's hard to hit that you know he'll he'll have a career in the majors for sure Mm. and on the basketball front uh mississippi state you know they defeated auburn earlier in the season well they'll take on the tigers in auburn number 11 auburn uh, at 3 p.m. tomorrow, state right now is locked in as an eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament, looking really good. They had a tough loss earlier in the week to Kentucky. Kentucky, one of their guards hit a buzzer beater to win that game. I mean, but it could have gone either way. And states look like one of the better teams in the SEC down the stretch. They're big, they're physical, grab a lot of rebounds, they're tough. And then Josh Hubbard, freshman from MRA, is just electric. He can shoot, he can score from anywhere. Ole Miss. on life support, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. Fell by 15 to Alabama earlier in the week in a game where they played very well offensively, just lapsed, couldn't stop anything on the defensive side, and then couldn't grab rebounds. Alabama grabbed 14 offensive rebounds, hit 15 three-pointers. Well, they'll take on Missouri. Missouri's winless in conference play. It's a must, must, must win for Ole Miss. They really need to win their next three and then two in the the SEC tournament to kind of get in March Madness talks. And then Southern Miss... Don't really have a chance at the NCAA tournament unless they win the Sunbelt tournament, but they take on Louisiana Lafayette. They're they're the University of Louisiana, but I still call them Louisiana Lafayette because I'm a traditionalist. They'll take on Louisiana at 7.30 on Saturday, tomorrow, and the Golden Eagles still. They're playing decent basketball, but they're trying to find a way to get into the tournament. They're going to have to win their conference, most likely. So we've got a big weekend of sports, baseball, you know. Favorite pastime in in Mississippi, especially this time of year, people can go out and enjoy the beautiful weather. Not in startful it's going to be rough weather tomorrow. But watch their teams take the mound and kind of see what they're made of. You know, last year Ole Miss and Mississippi State were pretty rough. Southern Miss went to the uh, Super Regionals, had a chance at Omaha, but they're under new leadership now with Christian Ostrander, and so we'll see how everything plays out this I weekend. I mean, we hadn't even gotten to conference play no. yet. They got to get hot early before we get to conference play because conference play is going to be tough, especially Man. in the SEC.
4: Boy, is it ever! It's going to be an interesting year for sure. Maybe one of these teams uh, can can get back to
1: the the big dance, as they say. If any of them do it, I would say Ole Miss because of how hot, hot their bats have been. If they can figure out pitching, their bullpen really good. The bullpen's incredible. Just starting pitching has been a yep. struggle.
4: Yep. All right, Caleb. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming in. Caleb Sayers, everyone, multimedia journalist, super top Mississippi news. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. if you've
0: grown up good days with Gerard good for America good for fans of justice and truth good for us super talk Mississippi this is what we stand for.
4: We are back in the Element Well studio. We got a gal called Nelly, so, you know, that New York Attorney General, Letitia James, she's the one that, of course... Is uh, going after former President Donald Trump. In fact, has done so, and the president has been ordered to pay three hundred and fifty-four million dollars in fines, uh, plus a hundred million of interest. Well, now she's got a new target, Rhino, and that is the beef industry. Yeah, so she is suing. JBS USA, the world's largest producer of beef, said the company's emissions are green and are greenwashing <laughs> is the term they used by allegedly misleading the public about the environmental impact of producing beef. Said they made net zero pledges for 2030 and 2040 but they're not feasible given the scope of none
2: of them are feasible
4: (laughs) these people live in fantasy land (laughs) she says as families continue to face the daily impacts i gotta stop right there anytime i see family and families, I'm always a little suspect. Does that not seem like it gets overused in political rhetoric?
2: Especially considering it comes from the mouths of people that hate the nuclear family. Exactly.
4: They they invoke it when it's
2: convenient. As, Isn't this also the same idiot AG that's tweeting out about the, the cake baker in Colorado?
4: I don't know. Is, is she waiting in on that as well? I think well? so. <laughs> oh, gosh as families continue to face the daily impacts of the climate crisis. Yeah, I got up today and was worried sick about the climate crisis. How about you?
2: Oh, yeah, I I couldn't sleep last night.
4: (laughs) They are willing to spend more of their hard-earned money on products from brands that are better for the environment. That's what (laughs) Attorney General Letitia James said. When companies falsely advertise their commitment to sustainability, they are misleading consumers and endangering our planet. JBS USA's greenwashing exploits the pocketbooks of everyday Americans and the promise of a healthy planet for future generations. My office will always ensure that companies do not abuse the environment and the trust of hard-working consumers for profit. Yet am I wrong about this? The crime is at crisis level. Did, the does she think she <laughs> was
2: elected to fulfill the rest of the term for president or something? I guess. Because she's way out over her skis. Big her time. skis are in the different county at this point. Because <laughs> I was right. February 28th, she tweets out, I'm suing JBS Foods. <laughs> Yesterday, she tweets out, Masterpiece Cake Shop, a Colorado bakery, refused to make a customer a cake when they found out it was to celebrate her transition. Oh, God. So let's see. She's going to go after the former president for a civil case that has never been used that way before in the history of the law, she's going to go after a Brazilian beef packer because they can't meet their climate goals, and she's going to throw her hat in the ring and talk about the cake baker in Colorado. You got it.
4: Well, this is a person who knows... How does her
2: head fit through the door when she goes to the (laughs) office?
4: This is a person who clearly knows how to set priorities. This is what's important to hard-working families. I woke up, climate change was on my mind, not the price of food or gas or these gazillions of illegals coming into the country that are murdering innocent Americans, civilians. Oh, no, that's not important. That's very, very far down the list. we got to go after the people who make beef, you know, the stuff we eat. We got to go after this this cake baker just because they refuse to bake a cake for someone, including uh, some style on the cake that uh, they disagree with. I I just don't like government stepping in and dictating to uh, to private businesses like that. Who you got to sell your products to? what price you got to sell them for. And unbelievable. Well, I mean, thats I thought we were settled that at this point. But I guess old Letitia James, she's found this as a worthy cause, is she not? She's found it as something to get her name all over the place. <laughs> and I guess maybe you're right. She aspires to even higher office than that of the Attorney General of the Empire State of New York. Well, maybe
2: she should do a good job in New York before trying to spread That's her <laughs> wings and fly and sue a Brazilian company and stick her nose in something in Colorado.
4: Yeah, that would work for me. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Dot News with Richard Marianos, formerly the Assistant Director of the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Stay with us. back in the Element Well studio. We thank you so much for joining us on this
3: Friday, y'all.
4: Welcome to the program now, Richard Marianos, a former assistant director of the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, a special agent in charge of ATF's Washington Field Division. So, uh, Mr. Marianos, thanks for joining the program today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. So we wanted you to come
4: on and talk about this uh, bill that Representative Lee Yancey has authored, HB 1461, which would establish a vape registry for the state of Mississippi. Tell us what this is all about.
3: Well, my hat's off for the pragmatic leadership of Lee Yancey and Nicole Boyd also. Uh, Their work has been outstanding in trying to get these vapes out of the hands of kids that are using them at levels we've never seen before, almost of, you know, unbelievable proportions. In some cases, the vape use by these young adults is up 2,600% around the United States. And every one of these vapes, these disposable vapes are being made by organized crime in China. They're being flooding our markets to the tune of about $100 billion a year. And I know that's something near and dear to your heart because the last time, you know, uh, we've looked, Chinese is our biggest, or excuse me, China is our biggest national security threat. So the administration is really turning a blind eye to it. They really need to understand that our greatest resources are children, and they're being taken advantage of to the tune of billions and billions of dollars on the back of the United States.
4: Interesting. So what? What would this bill do? This registry. What are we talking about here? I, I believe, if if not mistaken, that the bill would require uh, a report provided to the Attorney General of the State of Mississippi uh, that um, those are those who are are uh, furnishing these products, supplying these products, would be in compliance. Is that correct?
3: A hundred percent of these products, Yes, you're hundred percent correct. A hundred percent of these products are in violation of federal law. They're all contraband. Hmm. What has impressed me and what we should be proud of is Representative Yancey and Boyd taking a stand in going after these things by putting a registry together, identifying what the criminal products are, one, and two, putting in place a system for law enforcement authorities to go after them by having the Mississippi Department of Revenue as designed to go after these individuals who are putting the vapes in the kids' hands and Enforcing these laws and giving our police officers and our police department the ability to concentrate on serving and protecting in violent crime. In many states, there's a crossover or there isn't a dedicated law enforcement strategy. This is something that Mississippi needs to be proud of and needs to use as an example for the rest of the nation. And I think it's a good way to start. We have to educate. We have to do some demand reduction in our schools. But it's very important that we lock up these people that are distributing them to our kids and using these vape shops uh, as points that are almost like a narcotic spot on the corner. You know what? I don't want to paint all vape shops bad. That's what's important. There's many of them that are applying the law correctly. They're doing everything correctly. But there are some out there that are selling these products that need to be dealt with and need to be put out of business.
4: Do you think they're doing so knowing that what they're doing is, is uh, essentially selling illegal contraband, or are they just unaware?
3: Many of them are aware because the FDA has sent out notices. They've sent out red letters identifying the products that they can't sell which are contraband, which are illegal, and many of them are disregarding. They just, what's going to happen to me? There's nobody enforcing it. That's what's important right now, and that's what we applaud Mississippi for, putting in a strategy to deal with these people so they can't turn their nose at it and they'll be dealt with with, I hope, severe fines and, in some cases, criminal prosecution. Okay, so you
4: have you have 27 years, it's my understanding, uh, looking at your bio and so forth, at uh, the ATF bureau. So, in your professional experience, what's the what's the major risk here? Why should we be concerned about this? And and why is this legislation so important? And and how is I guess does do these products differ from the legal products that that uh, places them in the category of posing a greater risk?
3: You're 100 percent right, Gilbert. And if you would ask me 30 years. Is this something that we be speaking about or interested in? I'd say no way. There's other things that are more important. Now this is important because it's the new face of organized crime. It is the new way for the Chinese to use our children as soldiers and use that money to the tune of a hundred, hundreds, hundreds of billion dollars a year to back their organized crime through illegal means. Anybody who stands against these bills by Yancey and Boyd is just giving the Chinese complete authority to do whatever they want. And that's the, the danger here. Many of them that are coming across are not tested, like the industry has standards for the ones that are tobacco harm reduction devices. These are untested. They're unregulated. They're uncontrolled. They're marketed to kids. They're for kids. They're to hook kids. They're to, to addict children. And all the money is used for organized crime against the United States.
4: Well that's what I High well, value targets I got you so the, and that was going to be my question do, do you feel like that that the Chinese goal here is in fact to to injure and physically harm and, and inflict physical harm uh, be it mental or or bodily harm to our children to our youth or is it to to generate income to carry out their their other nefarious and malicious activity or maybe combination of the two?
3: Uh, You're absolutely right. The last statement, a combination of the two, I would totally agree with. And I say that because if you look at some of this packaging, they're geared towards kids. They're using the Simpsons. They're using different celebrity characters on Hmm. these things, different flavors that only appeal to children. And that money, we can show as a nation that it's going directly towards organized crime and these high value targets that are continuing pressuring the United States as a threat to our national security.
4: So, how does the supply chain work for these products? I mean, are they being manufactured in China, and and they're being manufactured again with this malicious intent? How do they get into this country, and then all the way to the store shelves?
3: One hundred percent of every one of these disposable vapes that we're talking about is being manufactured in China. Okay, there's a site. There's several sites along the internet that you can order from. Bring it in, ship it in directly into the country, and sell it at stores. And we have to do a better job of, one, stopping the people who are bringing it into the United States, stopping the shippers into the stores, and stopping the stores to the kids. And it's not an easy way. It's not an easy practice. It's going to be difficult. But we have to start with a demand reduction strategy and get in front of it. We have to notify our parents, our school resource officers, our teachers need to know. We need everybody like yourself that's going to take time out to understand this problem, that it's not vapes. It's disposable vapes made in China that are preying on our children because there are products out there. And that's why I can't or will I paint the brush in its totality. Some are for demand reduction, to get people away from smoking if they yeah. choose. Yeah. These organized crime, these high-value targets, making money and preying on our children.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, this just kind of sounds like a, a modern-day version of uh, the Cosa Nostra of the 30s and 40s. It's kind of what it reminds me of, except it's, it's, it's China and it's vapes, it happens to be, the article uh, that's being used. I mean,
3: and you're right. And, it, and again, Mississippi, you know, I'm going to continue to give them kudos, but they've developed a strategy to deal with it through registries and law enforcement. And we need people to look at your state as a gem and follow the practices you've put in place and the direction that you're going in terms of the registries and the law enforcement issues.
4: Is, is this the architecture here, the framework of the registries and law enforcement uh, Richard, is that something you devised, or or uh, s- someone, uh, or other people that uh, are familiar with, or work perhaps worked in ATF have seen this problem firsthand? Is that where the the, the idea came from?
3: No, I wish I was smart enough to come up with something <laughs> like this. Um, it's uh, there's been a lot of bright minds. There's been attorneys. There's been people in government. Okay. Um, there's been practitioners that have all been at the table that have come up with this strategy because okay. they understand how great the problem is.
4: okay so they, they see the problem and, and understood we got to get something to, to gain control uh, and, and by registering by documenting um, we can ensure and distinguish between the contraband and the legal products and take action uh, on the contraband. Uh, it sounds like it's uh, could be a, a, a fairly sophisticated supply chain. And hopefully our our law addresses that. we got about 20 seconds left. The
3: last I want to leave is for parents, law enforcement officers, or anyone that's very, very interested. There's a website that's been developed by teachers, cops, um, administrators. It's www.illegalvapes.com. It's constantly updated on those who are in violation in the registries.
4: Appreciate it, Richard. Thanks for coming on. They help everyone. Yeah. Thank you for enlightening on this uh, critical issue. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Gilbert. You have a great weekend. You too. Coming right back, folks. Your
0: window tent. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gilbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. huge, 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 huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Back in the Element Well Studio, that is Cream. Eric Clapton. In the early days, there, Mr. Clapton's musical career a quite an acclaimed one as well. He could pick that guitar, and still does. um Duke, you thinking about maybe going to? The Duke University Hospital in Durham, North Carolina, if you happen to be in need of some sort of medical care, you might want to know that the university has abandoned merit. They don't even, they're not even trying to hide it. When uh, picking surgeons, they have uh, prioritized uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, um, over... Merit. That's what they're doing up there. Uh, geez, it's unbelievable that this sort of stuff is still going on in this in this country. You've had you've seen some pullback uh, among uh, some large corporations. BlackRock, for one, Larry Fink, the CEO, is finally saying, "Yeah, if we just focus on this ESG stuff." in managing our investments, our capital deployment, uh, we may actually fall short of the, the um, ROI targets that we aspire to. That might be a little problem with people who have entrusted you with investing their money, because they are expecting a top return, unless you get a uh, permission, I guess, from them if they said, yeah, my priority there, Larry, is to invest my significant assets here in in social causes, (laughs) and not in companies that might, I don't know, make me a profit, a gain off this investment. Well,
2: now... It's almost like they made an investment to make money, and if they wanted to donate their money to a charitable cause, they would have done that. Pretty much what it
4: is, no doubt about it. So we have this attitude here at uh, Duke, which is, I thought, was a prestigious university. Is it not a private university? Well, it seems like
2: nowadays the more prestigious the university is, the more rife it is with lunacy, stupidity, and plagiarism. <laughs> no doubt about it. Who did you tell me yesterday
4: we got a new plagiarism case, do we not?
2: Oh, yeah, Columbia University's medical school. Their chief diversity officer lifted pretty much his entire dissertation from Wikipedia.
4: <laughs> you showed me a screenshot, a graphic... Uh, that was a couple of columns, teeny tiny print, couple of columns, multiple paragraphs lined up, and about 95% of them were highlighted, indicating those were, were paragraphs lifted from someone else's work product that this individual happened to include in their dissertation, is that correct? Yep. And they got awarded, what, a Ph.D., does it make you start wondering about all these PhDs? Honestly, no How disrespect. How does the
2: brain rot go in academia?
4: Huh. I mean, no disrespect. Does the Band-Aid to need them? to be ripped off? But, it, you know, it doesn't really help the cause when there's just case after case after case. And yeah, I, I mean, know. there's really
2: only two options to look at it. Either... Academia, especially prestige academia, is rife with plagiarism at the highest levels possible, or, coincidentally, in the last couple months, we found the only handful
4: of people that were doing it. Yeah. What's more likely? And I want to be clear. I I deeply respect everyone who attained these academic accomplishments, who did it legitimately, who, who, who did it. Um, without plagiarism, without cheating, because that's what it is. It's cheating. No doubt. That is, that is quite the Well, the saddest part is
2: all they would have to do is cite it as a source. It's true. Instead of claiming it as original thought. That's true. Now, they would have to likely add more original thought to it because it wouldn't serve as a dissertation, and you couldn't defend your arguments if you're just pointing to somebody else's work. It's not really what a doctorate's supposed to do. Right. But in academia, you're allowed to just lift as much as you want, put it in a block quote,
4: just cite it. These people are so lazy they won't even cite it. <laughs> they, they they want uh, what do you call it, the committee? Well, is that what it's called? The folks who actually, um, I guess, approve your dissertation and and sign off on the award of the of the PhD, the doctorate. To the yeah, I, the committee. The committee, is what I thought. I guess they just want them to think, hey, look at me. I wrote this on my own, and I guess other people who might read it. But you made an uh, an excellent point yesterday. This was off the air when you showed this to me. We were talking about it. Uh, that all this stuff is out there in digital form now. It's not like I'd have to go to the library and spend a few weeks Right? Oh, yeah. Calling through documents and books and and um, well, The advances in
2: technology available to us now, you can catch a plagiarist in about a split second. <laughs> Just, Which makes me think, how many people got their doctorates over a decade ago when it was a lot harder to find a plagiarist they're just sitting there going, gosh, I hope they don't look at mine. That's so true. I yeah, hope go. it's been long enough. They don't think I did it.
4: <laughs> don't go to the stacks and start pulling books off the shelf or, or documents, reports, papers, etc. You might find that I just lifted it straight from there. Because since the early
2: 2000s, even into the 90s, there's been a precipitous rise in the number of PhDs granted in the U.S. That's true. Yet somehow we seem to be getting dumber and dumber year by year.
4: Mm. Well, talking back to Duke, which was what has got us started on that. Um, Well, remember that we here on the program we define DEI as discrimination, (laughs) exclusion, and inequity because that's what it is. So here at Duke, they're saying that they're going out of their way to select surgeons into the program based on DEI, not, I don't know, that they could actually handle a surgery, a scalpel, and all the other stuff they got to do. One of the surgical residents, Dr. Vignesh Raman, gave a presentation, which has been since scrubbed. By the way, I'm reading this from the Carolina Journal. This is coming from a, a, a media source in North Carolina. Where Duke University is located, there. This uh, Dr. Vignesh Raman's presentation, and it's been pulled from the Duke Health website. He discussed his feelings about having to treat people, quote, in the South, calling them not VIP. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Says that, quote, his heart sinks when he considers that many of them might watch Fox News or support Donald Trump. Or, I guess, tune into Middays, right? Oh, so it sounds like he's got contempt. I thought you're supposed to be passionate when you're a doctor and, like, be just, just sort of impartial.
2: That's why I hope it comes across clearly over the air that my growing disgust for a large swath of mainstream media boils down to their contempt for people that think like I do,
4: Hmm. and their general lack of journalistic integrity. That's true. So evidently, according to the presentation, it was pretty clear he did not enjoy treating people who watch Fox News or support Donald Trump. But he said, really wasn't all that bad being a resident here because the community is majority non-white and it's wonderful to treat such a diverse group of people. So you don't take any sense of accomplishment or reward or, 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 or joy, pleasure in curing disease of white people? Oh, only diverse groups?
2: Are you kidding me? It goes back to what I was talking about, how the liberal mind is a broken thing, <laughs> because they have to hold in their mind two incompatible truths at the
4: same time. Well, this is from a year ago, but this article I'm, I'm uh, reviewing from the Carolina Journal has a tweet from uh, uh, someone who's obviously either a physician or a nurse says... I had a patient I was doing a blood draw on see my pronoun pin and loudly laugh to the staff. She, her, question mark? Well, of course it is. What other pronouns even are there? I missed his vein, so he had to get stuck twice. Yeah, they're graduating, that, that medical student.
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's time to quit playing nice with these people. They have great disdain for you, so why be nice to them? So you s- call them out for being the
4: dummies they are. Call them stupid to their face cuz they are. Unbelievable. You deliberately hurt this person and put them at risk honestly because of your pronoun nonsense. Coming right back in the Element Wealth Studio. Stay with us.
0: Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Everyone, it is midday's in the Element Wealth Studio. I'm gonna need some tequila after all this DEI stuff, man. The um, so it turns out that a lot of the stuff that was out there has been removed. This is this Dr. Vignesh Raman admitted to quote abandoning all sorts of metrics. Just we don't want to measure. Things that might actually be meaningful and germane and uh, and objective, let's put it that way, which is the way it should be, in admitting surgeons and selecting those for the program. Nope, we got to achieve the only metric they care about is the diversity equity metric, right? <laughs>
2: Wait, you're a pasty surgeon that's done two thousand operations successfully? I'm sorry, you you don't get this gig. It goes to the new hire because they check the right boxes and have the right skin tone.
4: Unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. It's the march to mediocrity on steroids. It really is. So you're essentially putting the lives of your loved ones at risk in these environments. You, you can't look at it any other way. Now, the Daily Wire exposed this, Ben Shapiro and they've reached out to Duke, um, the university itself, and, of course, the doctor, the good doctor, Dr. Raman, the North Carolina AG, for some comment. Also brought this matter to the attention of U.S. Congressman Bishop, Dan Bishop, who represents the area. The representative, this was just February 27th, by the way, just a few days ago, a couple of days ago. The representative said the law on this is very clear, and it will be enforced, essentially citing that this is uh, discrimination. It, it is. How could you not look at it objectively and say that this isn't discrimination? Of course it is. I, I mean, are we misreading this? This is Discrimination. Well, it's
2: discrimination based on the definition as learned by everybody before 2020. Okay, I got it. Post 2020, that's not discrimination. You can't discriminate against somebody that's not in that's these true. carefully curated illogically selected group of the oppressed
4: in it's, question in quotation marks. You're right about that. It's it's like a new standard, isn't it? It's absolutely It's no longer good enough to be colorblind,
2: to not factor race into your decision-making. Now, you must factor race into your decision-making, and to be colorblind is to be racist.
4: That's absolutely true. That's how backwards and illogical the left has become. Ibram Kendi, how to be an anti-racist, he's the author. Boston University, he makes a living, essentially, being a race pimp. That's what he is. He's, the grievous industry. Yep. He's the one who said you got to fight past racism with current racism and current racism with future racism. In other words, he's he is condoning, he is sanctioning, he's calling for this sort of racism. It's fine to be – in fact, they don't even consider it racism, this –
2: And if we had a magical sci-fi machine that could determine the intelligence of objects and individuals, you could sit a rock on one side and (laughs) Amy McKinney on the other side, and it would rate them as equals. (laughs)
4: Uh, Essentially, uh, is it not true, though, that in those circles that it's impossible for racism to exist against certain uh, people of, of certain races? Oh, yeah. You cannot be
2: racist to a white person. Right. It is impossible in the minds of the loony left and all the idiots that believe the way they do.
4: Which is exactly what this Duke University Medical Center is doing. They're making it very clear, very very blatant, very overt about it. Yep, we're going to discriminate against white people in selecting and hiring surgeons for our program here at the university. Pay no attention to the fact that you know, because of that, because you're not hiring based on qualifications, performance, and experience, and merit, you might actually be endangering the health in the very lives of the patients treated. That doesn't factor into it. They're just looking at those metrics, aren't they? That Look at me! <laughs> and it's like a badge of honor, like a trophy to them.
2: Well, it's racist to look at the outcomes before you make sure everything's diverse. That's true, which... Shouldn't you even, can't focus on the actual purpose of the
4: job and the outcomes required. No, no, no! Totally agree. Back to this uh, law, this, uh, not actually a law, it's Bill, bill HB uh, 1461, to establish a vape a registry. Is, isn't is there a law already that they cannot sell to anyone under 21, says Karen and Ripley? I believe that's true, right? Oh, yeah. So I don't think, I don't know if that's the issue here, but they it gets violated, does it not, That that law? I mean... I don't know. Every time I'm in a C-store, whenever I've seen folks that I guess are kind of kind of could pass for either below or above 21, legal age, I, I've seen the uh, clerks card them all the time for alcohol as well. So I don't know. Ben from Madison says, I have a hard time believing. Let's talk about this to, to see if you, what you understood is what Ben said, and I think, It's Thomas and Greenwood pointed this out as well, asked a question about it. I have a hard time believing 100% of vapes are breaking federal law. Maybe I misunderstood what he said. Is that what he said? I thought I I understood him to say these contraband vapes is what he called it, contraband, um, disposable vapes. Yeah. Coming from China. That's what this is about.
2: Yeah. I mean, he... He made it clear a couple times that he was not trying to paint with a broad brush and that there are vape shops that are trying to do it the correct way, the right way, the legal way. Yeah. But I think what he was mainly focusing on was like these C-stores, like these other vape shops that do have illegal vapes on their shelves because they're, they're just not abiding by the laws and by the rules and regulations put out by the FDA. Like, I, I haven't looked... ...in the last couple weeks, but the last time I looked at the FDA approvals for vapes, they have only approved something like six or seven products. They are all tobacco-flavored. They are all manufactured by companies owned in part or in whole by big tobacco companies. Okay. And they have not... The FDA has not authorized any bottled e-liquid that you would put in a vape. They haven't authorized... Any flavored vapes, they they haven't authorized a lot of stuff that you see being sold, even in the places that he's saying are doing it legally.
4: Yeah, I, I, I didn't hear him uh, saying that this bill would just completely outlaw the sale of vapes in the state. I didn't I didn't hear that, but it was. And by the way, I, I'm reading the bill. Maybe you know what this is. But it, uh, I'll just read the caption, an act to provide that no later than August 1st, 2024, every manufacturer of an ENDS, E-N-D-S. What's that? I'm, what do I not know about that? ENDS product that is sold for retail sale in Mississippi shall execute and deliver to the attorney general a certific- or certification that the manufacturer is compliant. What's an ENDS product? I don't know what that is. Interesting. So, um, Electronic Nicotine Delivery System. Okay, there you go. I, I just wasn't familiar with the acronym. So it sounds to me like, I mean, just reading through here, it's, it, it looks to me like what they're trying to do here is distinguish between the illegal and the legal by requiring these reports to be produced and provided to the Attorney General. I guess that's the case. But uh, if you're illegal, you're probably not going to be providing those, so I'm not sure what that accomplishes other than maybe it gives you a, a law that you can rely on to pursue that legally with some sort of lawsuit and some sort of penalties, fines, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's revocation of license. I don't know. Exactly. I hadn't dug through all that, but kinda sounds like to me that's what the intent is, what they're trying to do. Says they're supposed to update the directory At least monthly to ensure accuracy to require the Attorney General to establish a process to provide licensed retailers, distributors, and wholesalers notice of the initial publication of the directory and any changes that are made, etc., etc. So, there you go. Man, maybe just move these products into a package store dispensary type storefront where only people over 21 can gain access, but... I mean, we sell tobacco products in these convenience stores. Seems like we ought to be able to get our arms around this, as well. I'm not quite clear on how this registry process accomplishes that. I'm, I don't know, and I maybe I should ask that question. But um, Mr. Mariano seemed to be pretty, pretty adamant that this bill would would in fact uh, introduce some uh, a law that would gain some control over this issue. We're coming right back with the final segment on middays. Please stay with us. The
0: innocent away. The innocent away. If recent health Gerard Gibbert he keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey Record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi. We
4: are back. Final segment, Middays, live from the Element Well Studio. Don't forget, at 1 o'clock next Monday, that would be after the Ricky Matthews Super Talk Outdoors show, the uh, the network's going to air our interview yesterday with Representative Missy McGee concerning the Medicaid expansion bill that she authored, um, along with the Speaker of the House, Jason White. She serves as the chairwoman of the Medicaid committee in the House there. That was a three-segment interview. We we had uh, some technical issues going on yesterday at the time of that interview with the broadcast over the air here in central Mississippi at uh, the WFMN station. So it's going to air the playback of that on Monday, 1 o'clock. I want to pass that on. Jeff says she he's mad about the attorney general. Uh, It's a a day
2: that ends in Y. It's another day for (laughs) Jeff to get angry over something silly, stupid, or meaningless.
4: Well, uh, so he says that I'm making the assumption that they intentionally released the virus, and that's what the lawsuit is about, um, filed by the Attorney General. Well, sure, I think China did intentionally (laughs) release the virus, but isn't it at least worthy of a lawsuit to investigate? because? pretty clear now it did come from a lab, despite what we were told originally, bats in a wet market and all that kind of crap. That's pretty evident now. It came from a lab, but it, uh, it inflicted enormous human and financial damage on the planet, including the state of Mississippi. It seems to me like that that's worthy. To at least understand more and and, and um, find out who we could uh, pursue damages from. I mean, it's I don't I don't see the problem with that. Exactly. What what am I missing there?
2: It's because we called out one of his heroes, Letitia James. Oh,
4: is that what it is?
2: Because he even used the phrasing "getting out over their skis," which is what I used to describe her when she sued a Brazilian beef packing company yeah. over their climate goals. Which is re-
4: totally ridiculous. Uh, climate goals at uh, uh, 20 years. Like from she's about, the roughly. queen
2: of the friggin' world
4: or something. Yeah, that's uh, completely selfish, honestly, is what that is. There are like 300 approved vape products in Louisiana, and they have a directory also, lots of FDA approved competition in the market on the ceasefire tax line. Okay. The government has allowed discrimination. This is from a uh, Casey down in Ocean Springs. It said, uh, let's back up. Uh, the government has allowed discrimination since Title IX was passed in 1972. You can't discriminate against boys under Title IX. Okay, that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought about, it, but I'd, I'd have to sort of wrap my head about uh, around what the uh, the point there is. You can't discriminate against boys. What do you mean
2: can discriminate?
4: Yeah. Maybe that's what Casey means there. I guess you sort of, if you look at what Title IX does, right, which is set forth what would seem to be some special privileges, but I don't even know if I believe that's the case. It does does equalize it in that one thing that comes to mind right now is baseball, in D1 baseball. When... There were limits placed on the number of scholarships. I, I don't know that a lot of people know that. Of, of, a, of a team, a D1 baseball team, I think it's still the case 11.7 total scholarships, and those are distributed across the members of the team. Some get nothing, some get a fraction. Almost none get 100%, unlike football, where you got 85. But that, to a great extent, it's because we were trying to equalize the scholarship allocation, right? Oh yeah, to to women's sports as well. Um, and so I, I guess you, yeah. Casey says what I mean is you can provide for girls' sports without any consideration for boys, but you cannot provide for boys' sports without considering girls' sports. Agreed. I, I think the baseball is sort of an example of that. Do you do you agree? Oh yeah, yeah. And and so. There's limit on the number on the team, limber uh, on the roster, I should say, and then of the, uh, what is it, seven walk-ons and 28 uh, that are um, not considered walk-ons, that, that are sort of permanent members of the team, not the preferred walk-on, but of those 28, 11.7 scholarships. So, I mean, some of them get, you know, a bag of potato chips. <laughs> I'm uh, sort of making it funny there, but... I think it may be like a minimum of a, of a quarter or something like that, but hardly anybody, unless you're maybe throwing 100 and you can throw strikes, you might get a full scholarship. Even then,
2: if you're a, a weekend starter, they're ace in the hole. They're You're probably only getting 75%.
4: Yeah, and I'm, I'm getting a little out of my swim lane here, but I, I do just remember this from my son going through that process, and I, I think, Casey, correct me if I'm wrong, that's an example of what you're talking about here. But on the other hand, you've got the girls playing in the girls' sports. The Title IX says you got to give so many of this, that, and the other. and Yeah, so we're, it's uh, the distribution of that, I guess you could say, is questionable at best, and you could characterize that to some extent as uh, discrimination, yeah, against boys in sports. We're out of here today. I hope you have a, a great weekend, everyone. Back with you in the studio Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless.